If you would turn in your scriptures to Acts chapter 12. Acts chapter 12. Our scripture reading there, beginning at verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he had seized him, he put him in prison delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains, and sentries before the door were guarding the prisoner. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When they passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice, in her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so. And they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. And then he went down from Judea to Caesarea 
and spent some time there. Let's pray together. Father, you are wondrous and glorious, and we are grateful to be here this morning. We ask that you would open your word to us. Grant us confidence and courage in these days. Grant us an ear for your word and an understanding of it. Bolster us and uh, cause us to be steadfast in our faith. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Yuck. That's what you probably said the first time you put a worm on your fishing hook. <laughs> Yuck. It's rather a squirmy affair, isn't it? And who doesn't know the smell of worms after a summer rain? But as we see in our text, and we'll come to see, that the sort of worms that are mentioned are not the worms that we are typically familiar with. If you want to see what the Bible means by worms, leave your raw chicken styrofoam container in the garage for a week before pickup. And then you'll find what the Bible means by worms. You'll find hundreds, if not thousands, of maggots appear. This is the sort that appeared when manna was kept too long. It bred worms, the scripture says, and became foul. Job, in his suffering, noted that his rotting flesh was clothed with worms. The king of Tyre, who we understand as Lucifer, speaks of him, your pomp is brought down to Sheol, the sound of your harps, maggots are laid as a bed beneath you, and worms are your covers, the same word. The worm or the maggot in the scripture is the harbinger of death and decay. And Jesus, Jesus would use the metaphor of worm as a metaphor for eternal judgment or hell. In Mark chapter 9, he says, where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. The worm doesn't die. He's using the, the garbage dump outside of Jerusalem as, as an example of hell and Gehenna there. And, and the worm there was always there, the maggots eating and feeding, always consuming. And so we find in our text we'll find the death of this Herod, this Agrippa, one in a long line of Herods. Now in verse 20, now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. 
Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. So, Herod here, Agrippa, the ruler of Israel at the time, for five years, AD 39 to 44, he had attacked members of the church. He had James executed by the sword. He had Peter arrested. And he found that uh, his actions were pleasing to the Jews. So he wanted to do things that were pleasing to the Jews because he wasn't from Israel proper. He actually grew up in Rome. And so he wanted to solidify his legitimacy. And one of the ways we would do that was to attack the church. Everybody loved that, that he was attacking the church. So why not do it, he reasons. And we then are given this miraculous account of Peter's escape at the hands of the angel. And in contrast, we are given the grisly demise of Herod. Notice he was in verse 23, he was eaten with worms, maggots. The historian Josephus recounts the death of Herod. He talks about the peace treaty that was to be enacted between Tyre and Sidon and Herod's kingdom of Israel. Tyre and Sidon were vassal states. They were dependent on Israel for food. And so they were uh, very much wanting that relationship to continue. Their livelihood and their survival depended on it. And Herod chooses a special day. It was actually a feast day, Josephus says, given to the worship of Caesar a special day to celebrate Caesar. And he puts on a special robe. In fact, the robe uh, Josephus describes was a silver robe. And that when it caught the sun, it was almost blinding. It was, it was quite a display of magnificence. And Herod took his seat and he gave his special speech and you can see the result and the flattery that was going on in verse 22. The people were shouting the voice of a God and not of a man. Josephus says his flatterers cried out that he was a God superior to mortal nature. Blasphemy. The process of dying for Herod we can imagine was very painful. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms. Josephus says his death process lasted five days. The corruption of his flesh spread. The larva that was in him and on him, the larva of flies hatched and the maggots fed on his ailment and he breathed his last. Job says of death, he says, the worm finds them sweet. The worm finds them sweet. 
Now we are supposed to understand here that being eaten by worms was a particular judgment from God. It was an angel of the Lord, we're told, that struck Herod down for his arrogance and his pride in attacking Christians and allowing himself to be called God. Rather than seeing to it that the true God was glorified. He sought his own glory. He didn't give God the glory, we read. And he delighted in his own glory. And this is a particular ailment common to man, isn't it? To delight in our own glory. Nebuchadnezzar, you remember him of, of, of Assyria and Babylon and how the king said this, is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal resident and for the glory of my majesty? And you remember what happened to him. He was struck and he became like a donkey for seven years. Or Belshazzar, who on the very night God judged him and he was killed. On that very night, he lifted up himself above the Lord of heaven. And the Lord judged him. Or the king of Tyre, we remember, as Lucifer, how he said in his heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will be above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. And the scripture says, but you are brought down to Sheol. And on that future day, we can expect the Antichrist to behave in similar ways. Thessalonians tells us he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, proclaiming himself to be God. Revelation 13 says it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming his name and his dwelling and those who dwell in heaven. And of course, this is the lot of the human race in our fallenness. Romans 1 says they exchanged, speaking of mankind, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. You shall be as God, Satan said to Eve. You shall be as God. Yuck. And in its pretentiousness and arrogance, the human race denies the deity of God while living as though we ourselves are divine. And we know that there will be nothing left of this flesh except worms and maggots and larvae of flies, death, corruption, decay, and judgment. Our culture flatters itself. Our culture would teach you and seek to convince you 
that living a life of pleasure and living a life of self-praise is the goal of living. You are being told that there is no obstacle to the fulfillment of your desires. That nothing stands in the way of your excesses. It's teaching you that you can choose your own gender. That you can choose your sex and your preferences are to be celebrated and lauded and your belief in yourself is the most important thing and you can accomplish anything you're being told. And the very thought that judgment from God is coming is abhorrent to our fellow citizens. I mean, it, they have been taught to think that there is no judgment and how could there be for they are so amazing or we are so amazing as we are. The God who doesn't exist would never judge such a, an astounding person as you. And you are flattered and you are praised and you are held up as a God and that your chief end is to glorify yourself. And that your purpose in life is to unleash your glory upon others that they might be amazed while despising and denying the true God and his son Jesus Christ, the savior of all who look to him in faith. What a time, what a time as this we live in. Rejecting God and his son while claiming a form of self-divinity in word or in action. And yet, we cannot but help see how our culture and our own nation and the people around us suffer. Suffer from panic and anxiety and fear and unrest, loneliness and hopelessness. And our Canada is blind to the calamities that are coming upon it. And our country is deaf to the word of God. And already, already, the worms are feeding on, on our nation. The worms are feeding on our population. Already the angel has been sent by God for judgment upon our nation financially, militarily, and culturally. And you will find, if you look for it, you will find that the worms are doing their work, eating and feeding on the carcass of our nation. And all the while our worldly authorities are flattering and praising that we are the best, that we're the most, we're the apex of civilization. And the progressiveness of our leaders has brought us to the summit and the pleasure is our right and are we something amazing. And all this flattery from the world 
will not address the emptiness of lives, the hollowness of it, of pleasure and self and the addictions and the obsessions and the immaturities and the rage and violence in the heart of, of the people and all the causes in the world that people latch onto to find meaning and hope, all of the causes do not make up for the rejection of their creator. And it's a serious, deadly business to make yourself a God and to live as though you are not accountable to God. You young people, are growing up at a time when oh, you're going to be tested and challenged in, in how you think and how you behave. Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man also will acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be, not, be denied before the angels of God. He is the one who died for you, Jesus the Christ. And yet his body did not see corruption, the scripture says. The Holy One of God did not feed the worms. Particularly, he, there was no corruption. Instead, he was raised from the dead. He lives and, and you will live eternally too with him if you follow him. If you, last, if you last in your faith and in your obedience to him. Herod, Herod, though he was a free man, was visited by an angel from God and then judged and eaten by worms. Death, decay, corruption. Peter, though imprisoned, was visited by an angel from God and set free. Verse 19 says, they did not find him particularly. Herod searched for him and did not find him. What's interesting is Luke, who wrote the book of Acts and the gospel of Luke, uh, uses this particular phrase solely to refer uh, in the Gospels to the resurrection of Jesus. They looked for him, they couldn't find him. And here, Herod is searching for Peter and did not find him. It's the same choice of words. I'm reminded of the resurrection here and eternity and life. Live holy lives. Young people make holy choices. Teenagers at school and work this summer. Trust the Lord. And don't have the mind of this culture and world that is confused. And the worms are eating it already. Trust the Lord and that the Lord is working 
as you say no to this, and as you say no to that, and as you say yes to obedience to him, and yes to the mind of Christ, yes to the word of God, he is the only hope we have, Jesus Christ. God is working. He's working in ways that we don't understand. I mean, his angels are being sent all the time to bless and to judge. Most times we cannot see it. Most times we can't even know it. For us, it is to remain faithful. Faithful to him and to his word. Knowing that God is active, he's intervening. He's blessing, he's freeing, he's saving, and he's judging. He's taking, and he is sending worms. And Christian, should he call you to prison, as Peter was called, should you be hated in the newspapers or in the social media or amongst your friends, hated for the name of Christ, should he call you to even suffer? Should he call you to a dry desert or a fire of trial or a battle of faith? Whatever he calls you to, he may send an angel to free you, or he may send an angel just to strengthen you. Or he may send an angel to carry your spirit home to Jesus. The book of Isaiah says, the righteous are taken away to be spared from evil. He means in death, the righteous can be taken away so that they don't see the evil of the world. Trust the Lord, give him the glory. God will not give his glory to another. He will not permit it. There is judgment for that. Verse 24 says, the word of God increased and multiplied. Herod couldn't stop it. The message of the gospel, the good news continued. The gospel will be preached that there is salvation, there is hope, there is eternal life. There is life beyond this grave in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness for our sins through the cross of Christ. But at the end, will he find faith on the earth? Will he find your faith? So what is the chief end of man? Some of you know this by heart. Say it with me. Man's chief end is to glorify and enjoy God forever. Now that's pleasure, to enjoy God forever. Heavenly Father, there is a day coming when every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we say 
to you, Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit. May yours be the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. As we go into our week and our summer ahead, oh Lord, may we be faithful. May we be obedient. May we be a holy people. We know that you will receive us as we repent and ask for forgiveness and wash us clean of things where we have strayed or gone astray gone astray. Restore us, renew us, revive us. And may we never behave or act or think like we are, are you or, or that we are God. And we acknowledge you as a true God and the ever-living God. And you do all things well. So we offer our praise. We say you are the ancient of days, present in our life now, and working in our community. Work through us. May we sow, may we water, and whatever your, call, your calling is on our life, we accept it, and we delight in it, and we take joy in it. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.